think that was beautiful. Tonight we are going to look at the account of a guy named Mephibosheth. It's kind of a tongue tire just to share that. My sister, who is not a Christian, I tell Cindy, every time I think of Mephibosheth, I think of my sister, and somewhere she heard this account. I don't know if it was in a sermon or a friend read it to her. And she said, have you ever heard about that guy? And I thought, wow. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And I pray and pray for her. her I call her Dee Dee. Her name's Freddie Jean. My dad was named Freddie. My mom was Jean. And so they came up with Freddie Jean. Just put it together. And I couldn't say Freddie. That's what everybody called when I was little. All I could get out was Dee Dee. So in my laziness, I about shortened it to just Dee. But uh, pray for Dee. It's kind of neat since she's retired. I didn't mean to get into all this, but she's got a couple of really close friends. And now that she's retired, this real close friend is a, is a strong Christian. And I've been praying for years for her to come to Christ. And I'm convinced that uh, Jenny, her friend, is going to be pivotal in that. So, uh, anyway, I'm going Our scripture reading, we're going to be looking at Second Samuel 4, verse 4, and then we'll be over in chapter 9, too. But I just want to read that one verse, 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor as I read aloud. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. Father, speak to our hearts tonight, Lord. I'm reminded about a guy that no one would notice, Lord. Crippled, living out in a barren wilderness. Father, forgotten by many, but not by the king. And Lord, what a great reminder. And thank you for Rachel's song that also reminds us that we are not forgotten by the King of kings and Lord of lords. But his love is so wonderful that Jesus has paved the way. Thank you for that, God. It fires me up to thinking about it and brings tears at the same time. Lord, as we look at this account of Mephibosheth and I, just speak to our hearts, God, and remind us that, Father, um, we are sought out by a King who loves us. In your name we pray. Amen. A little background history. Uh, people of Israel desperately wanted a king because they wanted to be like their neighbors. And so they chose this guy. He was taller than everybody else. He was handsome. He was your Hollywood king. Things started out well, but Saul began to have a heart problem. And God decided he was going to raise up someone to take his place to be the next king. This guy was actually one of several brothers. And when Samuel, God's man, went out to proclaim the new king that was to be anointed, he went through the boys there was one missing. He was out with a sheep out in the fields. His name was David. 
Later, David faced this guy named Goliath, who uh, he was quite a guy, quite a warrior, like nine feet, nine inches tall. That'll scare anybody. But yet, as he came forward toward Goliath, he said, I come in the name of the Lord God who will give me victory. And, well, you guys know what happened. God gave the victory. And David, his popularity began to grow. He'd already been anointed king, but that time Saul was still king. But then a jealousy began to burn within Saul. And in the streets it said that they said, Saul slayed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And so Saul, he began just... And he couldn't stop thinking about David. This jealousy just it went up in his heart and his soul. And his son is a guy named Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were best friends. It said that, and that their hearts were, were bound. It just, just you know, just the kind of friend that you know you can tell anything. And you know, when everybody else walks out, they walk in. You know, that was David and Jonathan. And then, <sighs> tragically, they. There, there was this wedge drawn because of the jealousy of Saul where Jonathan was not allowed to be friends with David and, and it, it caused a lot of pain. And, and then in battle, we found out in Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan both died in battle. David became king. He rose to the throne and as was the practice of that day, anybody who might be a threat to the king who was relatives of the last king were executed. So the men in the family of Saul were executed. Years later, David was sitting, and he was thinking about his friend Jonathan. And so that's where we pick up uh, in our text in Second uh, Samuel nine. And and actually, I'll start out with verse four that we just read. He didn't know it at the time. He learned there was this guy, Mephibosheth. He was the one remaining relative. And he found out that he was lame in both feet from the time he was five years old. Tragically, the nurse was carrying him. The armies of David uh, were approaching. It wasn't safe. And, and she dropped Mephibosheth and he became crippled in both he wasn't a threat then. He was a cripple. Matter of fact, as I thought about it, I think that's probably why he was allowed to live all those years. Because they probably looked at this little crippled guy as he grew up and thought, he's no threat to the king. What can he do? He's powerless. He's weak. He's broken. But as I thought about that, this, this guy that was crippled in both feet, that's really our story as far as it goes between a holy God. You see, we are crippled. We're crippled morally. You know, we say, you know, well, he's a good person, she's a good person, but not good next to a holy God. We can't meet the moral demands that God requires. We just can't. We're just messed up. We've got this sin problem where we fall short. We miss the mark, the target. And, and not only that, but physically, we don't measure up. Sin plays its role. We know about pain. We know about coming death and sickness. That's it, all related to where we fall short. And then, of course, spiritually, when we think about our righteousness, that must exceed the best righteousness of any person 
that we've ever known except Jesus. <laughs> you, you see, we fall short, and that way we're crippled, and that way we miss the mark. But here's the great part here, as we get to 2, Corinthians, 2 Samuel 9. Not only was Mephibosheth crippled, and so were we, but he was sought out by the king. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan... He is crippled in both feet. This is not a story about Mephibosheth seeking out the king for help. This is a story about the king seeking him out. Now, think about that. Um, What could he offer to the king? He's crippled. And not only that, uh, he probably heard some accounts of what happened to some cousins some other relatives. It was not safe to know the king. So he didn't personally know the king, and I doubt he wanted to, because there was a fear. And I imagine that when they came and they sought him out, and they knocked on that door, (laughs) the king's guard opened up. I don't think he was thinking, wow, yay! He keeps probably trembling and shaking out of fear, because he thought, oh no. He's finally found me, if he thought anything. He, he may be coming for me. He, he, you know, my days were numbered, and, and now they're up. Now I've missed it. Now I've missed it. We think about the story of God. He's holy. He's beyond us. Uh, he has to punish sin because that's in His nature. It's easy to get the picture of, of a king who's searching us out in order to give us what we deserve. And yet the beauty of the gospel is that's not who our God is. He he loves us so much that although sin demands a payment, He's paid it. John 1.10 speaks about Jesus our Lord. It says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. What did He say? Luke 19.10, He said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, we have a God, he, He... he cares about people. That's why He sent a Savior. That's, that's why the, the price was paid at Calvary. And His love is beyond what we can understand. And, and you know, I'll never forget, I, I know I've shared this before, but uh, I was in a pastor's meeting, and I remember a guy sharing that God's people are precious to God. And in order to get to another person, you have to go through the cross to get to them. To love them, to be mad at them, or anything else. Just remember, you go through the cross. And, and you know, that, that, that impacted me. And as I thought about that, that's a God that reached out to us. Not because we deserve grace, not because we deserve mercy, not because we deserve forgiveness, but because He is love. Now, I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that describe the trouble we were in before Jesus saved us and delivered us. This is how it is before Jesus uh, enters the heart of the believer. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It doesn't say you were sick. 
It doesn't say, hey, you had an allergy. It says that you were literally dead without spiritual life because of the transgressions and sins that ruled. It says, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, you were in enemy territory. The Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time. In other words, guys, before you look at that guy and say, man, that guy, can you believe him? Can you believe her? Can you believe the stuff they're into, the stuff they're doing? And they're such sinners. He says, that was you at one time. <laughs> you were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. It really gets me as I look at the last part of this verse here. It says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Look at that. And I said, man, you know, David, Henry David Thoreau, uh, a person was sharing with him uh, a pious aunt, said, Henry, have you made your peace with God? And he said, I didn't know we were ever quarreling. He didn't understand. It says that, that there's this sin issue and, and we're separated from God and there is, there is a wall of separation because of the sin. But I love verse 4 here. He says, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when? Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. In other words, He didn't wait till you cleaned up your act. He went right where you were, and He loved you. He went right where you were, and He saved you. He went right where you were and paid for your transgressions. That's our God. And where were we? We were in a far country. Look at the Second Samuel 9, verse 4, as we read uh, where He was here. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makur, son of Amiel, in Lo Debar. Lo Debar literally means place of no bread. It was a place that was desert. It was a place that was wilderness. My guess is he was there because no one would go there. My guess is he was afraid the king did want to find him. And so he was in this place of despair. I mean, if you weren't already depressed, this is the kind of place if you look out the window and there's nothing there. It's depressing. Place of no bread, a place of nothing. And it was there. The king sought him out. And, and, and the king came to him. And, and, and the king loved him. And, and in that place, it seemed so hopeless and so helpless. You know, that's our God. I, I was thinking about it. I shared the parable this morning as I closed the message of the lost son, the prodigal son. And in that same chapter, Luke 15, it talks about the shepherd and the one sheep is lost. And he leaves the 99 to find the one because the one's precious to him. And, and you know, that's the story of our God. He, he cares about everyone so much He doesn't want to leave anybody out. He loves the 99 that are in the fold, but He loves the one. And He goes after the one. And, and, and here's a picture here where David went after Mephibosheth to share that love, that care. Fourth one here. Saved for another's sake. Uh, he had asked anyone left in the house of Saul, to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Verse 7, Don't be afraid, David said to him. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. It's good. You see, David comes to him and he says, Mephibosheth, I know you got some issues. 
buddy, you got some self-esteem issues. You know, he probably didn't say that, but thank you. But I'm not here simply because of you. I'm here because of you, of John. It's for his sake. I want to share my love to you because of the love I have for him. And, and you know, you think about it. Why does God love me? Why does God care about me? Why does He reach out to me? It's who He is. And He does it for the sake of His Son, Jesus. You see, I love the Scripture that talks about when He looks at me, He don't see my mess. He sees the Master, Jesus. I've shared with you, but I love it so much. You know, we always talk about favorite verses and everything. One of mine's a little obscure. It's Colossians 3.3. 3. I always love that verse. And I don't take a minute just to talk about that. He says, For you died. And what does that mean? Man, the old me is history. It says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Man, I love that. It just, I, it just gives me hope. Sometimes I get sick of me. It's like, God, I'm just sick of me. And, and then I can look at that and I can say, but you know what? That, that's past. I, you know, that, I'm, I'm dead to that, that. That picture, that thinking. Now I'm covered. I'm hidden with Christ in God. And when the Father looks down here at me, He doesn't see all oh, poor people me. He sees who I'm covered by. The Lord Jesus Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Talk about a safe place. It doesn't get any safer than in Jesus Christ. That's where it is. That's our hope, guys. That's, that's, that's where we're called to rest and to find our strength. Because we have a God who has searched us out and a God who has covered us so completely with His grace that that is what He sees. <laughs> he sees the finished work of Calvary upon us. Now, what do we enjoy out of that? Uh, this is the last one. Restored to the King's table. Look at verses 10 through 13. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him, bring in the crops. Now, this is God's crippled, right? So he's sitting in the Calvary to help you. So that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master's, will always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons, 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was crippled in both. And this isn't about how good I am. It's not about how good you are. The simple fact of the matter is, before a holy God, we're crippled. But the beauty of the story is, God knows that. And He comes to our aid. He pursues us. He, he comes to us and He says, I want you to eat at my table. I want you to be part of my family. I want you to enjoy my blessing. I want you to feast with me. Man, that's what it is. It's God's grace. Poured out on Mephibosheth through a king. Poured out on all of God's children through Jesus Christ. The Lord 
and the Savior. I want to close from a... Well, actually, I have a story I want to tell that kind of connects here. But Revelation of 19, 6 through 10. I just shared. Think about that meal together. This is a time of worship. It says, uh, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad, and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, Those are the true words of God. Man, what a thought. You see, at some point, Jesus became real to you. If he hadn't made a night, I mean, I mean, at some point, you, the, the king of kings showed you who he is, and, and he showed you who you are, and, 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 and he showed you what you need, and he showed you what he provides. And at that point, he said, Lord God, I'm, I'm a sinner, but Lord God, you're a great Savior, and, and, and you're a bigger Savior than I am a sinner, and, and, and God, I'm just going to bow to you. And, and it's there that he lifts you up, and, and he frees you, and he invites you into his kingdom, and he gives you a hope. And it talks about here where there's going to be that joining together. Together. Talk about it that last time. That there's going to be the Lord's Supper. And we're the bride. And Jesus Christ is the groom. And we're going to come together. And man, is it going to be a joyous occasion. It's going to be just a blessing with the Lamb. It's great here because the angel that's sharing this, how glorious and mighty is the angel. Look what he says. He says, at this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He says, it's Jesus. That's who, who we're going to be worshiping. That's who's going to be in the center of the throne. That's who we're going to pour out our heart to. The God who pursued us. And He covered us with His love. So that when He looks upon us, He doesn't see our mess. But he says, Jesus. I want to close with this story of a pursuit. This happened uh, back in 1984, a guy named Ted Forbes. Ted was in Chicago. Uh, he happened to look down on the street, and he saw a wallet. He picked up the wallet, started looking through the wallet for identification. No identification, no driver's license, social security card, or, or none of that. And he thought, well... So then he opened up the wallet, and there was a letter in the wallet. So he took out the letter and he looked at it and all he could make out, he could tell it was very old, all he could make out was the return address. So he opened the envelope, he pulled out the letter, and he noticed uh, it was dated June 6, 1924, 60 years earlier. So he read the letter and it was basically a Dear John letter. From Hannah to Michael. And Hannah said, Michael, I love you, um, but uh, this feuding with my parents is not working. And I can't see you anymore. 
So, uh, anyway, he was looking at the letter and he thought, well, I, I, I need to get this to somebody. So he looked up the address and went to the house and met the people there. And this lady comes to the door and she said, yeah, we bought, my family bought this house 30 years ago. And said, uh, and I remember uh, Lady of the House, she, I, she was in a nursing home nearby. She did have a daughter uh, named Hannah, I think. So anyway, Ted went over to that nursing home, started talking to the director of the nursing home. And, uh, yeah, yeah, um, she did die. But you know what? I think I may know how to reach Hannah. And so she found out that she had actually moved into an apartment uh, for the elderly. And so he went to that apartment building. He thought, well, this is a lot of trouble. Uh, but there were $3 in the wallet, too, to return $3 in this letter. But so he goes there and he asked, you know, uh, about this lady, Hannah. Yeah, go up to the third floor, apartment four. So I guess third floor, apartment four. Knocks on the door, pulls out the letter. Says, uh, is this yours? <laughs> she looked at it, started reading it, just started weeping. She said, Where did you find this? She said, I never married. I never found anybody that I loved like Michael. And, uh, so, anyway, he, he was moved. And she said, you know, you keep the wallet. She let her. So he, he started walking down the hall. And the janitor comes up to him and says, I know that wallet. He says, I know who that belongs to. He, Mr. Goldstein, he keeps losing that thing. He says, I know where he lives. Where's he living? Well, he actually lives in this same apartment building. Floor 10, room 6. So he goes, okay. So he goes, you know, goes back to Hannah. He says, I, I need to use this. So he gets the letter and takes a wallet. He goes up to 10th floor, room 6, knocks on the door. This elderly man comes to the door. He says, are you Michael? And he goes, Yeah. He said, I think I've got a letter that is yours in your wallet. So he looks at the wallet. There's a letter. He says, have you read this? He goes, yeah. And he starts looking at it, and he starts crying. And Michael says, you know, I never married either. He says, I almost committed suicide after I got this letter from Hannah. I didn't think I could live without her. He said, I... I've thought about her a lot. Most every day. Ted says, I know where she is. And he goes, really? He says, yeah, come on. So they get on the elevator. Go back down there to the third floor. Knock on Anna's door. She opens the door. They see each other 60 years. It was like a few days had passed. <laughs> they embraced, hugged, cried. It was awesome. 
Ted left and he was like, God, now I know why I had to go through all this trouble to see you reunite this couple. This is amazing. He gets a call three weeks later. Michael says, Ted, will you be the best man? Hannah and I are going to get married. He said, yeah. Yeah. Sixty years. Missing each other. Being apart. Not having the blessing that they, they needed and they wanted. But they were reunited. Seventy-nine, seventy-six. Wedding. Marriage. I don't know your age particularly. Some of you I do, some of you I don't. But here's the thing, guys. We're headed toward a wedding. We're all called the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. And it'll be a glorious occasion. Regardless of the years that happened up till that point, Jesus has made sure that that event will happen. And it'll be a reuniting that'll be precious and that'll be a blessing. And it all happens because a king sought out crippled people like you and me. We come to a time of invitation, time of response. God has spoken to your heart. If there's something you need to do um, to share with God's people, a decision that needs to be made uh, to follow Him and to be obedient, I'm going to ask you to come as Thomas comes and leads us in song after prayer. Lord, thank you for the crippled guy. He didn't think he mattered, but you knew he did all along. So it is with us. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. And Calvary was about each one of us. Your love completed there. Shown in a horrific way that ends up being the most beautiful of all. And as we think about Michael and Hannah, Lord, there will come a day where we too, Father, will... It'll be right. Love will be restored. Thank you for that, God. Uh, Lord, I don't know uh, everything you're up to tonight. Uh, I just want you to have your way. Father, may we respond to your voice and your spirit and just simply do what you want, Lord. In your name we pray.